Hey there, you're listening to the Fixed Present Podcast. A couple of notes before we get into it. First one is, this may or may not be a spoilery episode for you. I do talk about the core concepts of three books, but in some cases, some of the reveals come a little later on in the novel. I do recommend all three of them, even Hard Sun. So if you bother with that, maybe you should read them first. Second, I'm well aware that it's Chris Carter and not Mark Snow who actually wrote Millennium and also The X-Files but I got the two muddled up because I'm really into my film scores and soundtracks. Anyway. Hi, this is Ralph and this is the Victorplasm Podcast. This episode, I'm going to talk about the end of the world. Not a post-apocalypse, but a pre-apocalypse. How do you run a game when you know the world's going to end? How do you motivate people? What are they likely to do in their final days? I'm going to talk about three different works of fiction. This episode is partly inspired by a UK role player's post uh, from James Mullen, which is talking about gaming in a hard sun universe where there's a nihilistic outlook to life on Earth. Why would you keep going in those cases? And I have run games which are essentially apocalyptic in outlook. I ran a game called Glory, which I never really finished, but the concept of that was the world was ending, the final city on Earth was being swallowed by a jungle outside that ever encroached on the population, ripping up buildings and roads, impossible to control the spread of greenery. So first of all, I'm going to talk about The Last Policeman by Ben Winters. It's a trilogy centred around a world where, in months, an asteroid, colloquially called Maya, is going to impact somewhere in the Indian Ocean and effectively cause an extinction event. The disaster is only months away. Now, our point of view character is Hank Palace, a detective who is motivated to solve what seem to be fairly routine crimes in the face of an extraordinary adverse situation that the whole population is facing. Nevertheless, it's a detective novel first, and in the first book, the apocalypse is some distance away. We're aware that it is a possibility in the future, but the book ends with nothing having happened to humanity yet, although Hank has been transformed. But what has happened during that book and in subsequent ones is is other people's attitude to life. The bucket list is is a common term that is thrown around where knowing that the world is going to end, an awful lot of people have left their homes and gone travelling to do the things they've always wanted to do before the end comes. This has had a knock-on effect on the rest of society. If all the policemen go off on their bucket list trips, or all the people who offer operate emergency services, or power stations, or anything else that generates the utilities and services that we in the first world take for granted, what happens to society? You've got a crumbling of society and a scarcity of resources that you would expect in a normal post-apocalyptic scenario. And that's pretty much what happens throughout the three novels. Society begins to collapse, the lights go out, people start having to ride bicycles instead of drive cars because there's no one to deliver gasoline, not even sure if gasoline is still being refined under these circumstances. And people are starting to organise into tribal units, hoard their resources and defend what's theirs in preparation of the end. Some people are optimistically expecting to survive after the impact, but we know that even if that's possible, life is going to be incredibly hard and they will need bottled water and dehydrated food and somewhere to stay which will protect them from the elements. Now, compare this scenario with the TV series Hard Sun, written by Neil Cross, who also wrote Luther. Now, Neil Cross is a massive Bowie fan, or I'm pretty sure of it anyway. Luther was mad for David Bowie, and in Hard Sun, the whole premise is inspired by Five Years, the first song on the Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars album. 
The idea is, in five years, the world is going to end. That's all we've got left. But crucially, we're fully aware that the world is going to end. We've got to put our affairs in order. What happens to society in that case? In Hard Sun, two detectives, Elaine Renko and Charlie Hicks, both of whom have very colourful pasts and questionable morality, come across a thumb drive with details of a Hard Sun event, which supposedly outlines exactly what is going to cause the end of the world as we know it. At the end of the final episode, when we see the sunrise, we get an idea about what the extinction event actually is, but otherwise it's not really referred to during the course of the series. But what uh, what we find during the series is Renko and Hicks dealing with more and more paranoia and superstition about the end of the world, even before Hard Sun goes public by Renko releasing the files to the journalist. We have what is effectively religious cults or mystics proclaiming the end of the world. And this gives them license to do truly awful things. People being abducted and trepanned, or murdered for no reason. This put me in mind of Mark Snow's Millennium series, which featured Lance Henriksen playing Frank Castle, a psychic detective, investigating serial killers who seem to have some connection with the Millennium, what could also be seen as its own extinction event or at least a point of great change. And here the idea is the same. The forthcoming apocalypse and the uncertainty has almost inspired almost a religious sentiment in in the people who are imagining what the end state is going to be like. The hard sun files have indeed been suppressed to prevent anarchy and the collapse of society as we know it. So we can imagine that the British authorities, who are trying so hard to suppress the information, are expecting a scenario very much like the one that we read in The Last Policeman, where individuals hoard their own resources and go off and do whatever they want, and society collapses as a result. Hardson is a bit silly. The actual extinction event doesn't seem to be plausible if indeed what we see in the last episode is representative of what is happening. There's a, a really interesting discussion on Stack Exchange, which I'm going to link to in the show notes. You should go and read that. I don't want you to spoil yourself for the, for the series if you're interested in watching it. Although, I don't particularly rate it very highly. It's certainly not one of Neil Cross's best. The last book I'm going to talk about is Shaijin Liu's Three-Body Problem. This also features a future extinction event of sorts, although the actual destruction of Earth is uncertain. Certainly, though, there's a threat to humanity... But this event is so far in the future, 450 years, that it's almost irrelevant to the characters today. It is, of course, a source of anxiety amongst the principal characters, those characters who can imagine what the future is going to be like. And one of the key points is the stagnation of human development of science, something which the invaders have deliberately instigated so that by the time they arrive, humanity hasn't hasn't advanced at all, and won't be able to resist their invasion. Now, if you know that the world is going to end centuries in the future, you can imagine a few things that will result. Some people will deny that this is ever a possibility. We know full well that people deny climate change today, and we can imagine exactly the same sorts of people denying a potential extinction event because they claim lack of evidence, because, well... They may have any any number of reasons for denying it, but nevertheless, you can expect a faction to develop that will deny that this ever happens. Likewise, you can expect people to attach some mystical meaning to the potential end of the world. In this case, if it's alien invaders, 
it may be they anticipate they see them as some kind of higher race or emissaries from God who are coming to liberate the human race finally in some sort of rapture. And over 400 years, these ideas are likely to go beyond just individuals speaking their minds. They're likely to become political and religious movements. Whole societies may adopt these ideas. New countries or new tribal units may form on the basis of a common belief about what is going to happen in the future. And they'll pass this information down to the next generation. So you're not just looking at the hearts and minds of the people who've received this information now, but how they're going to change their children and the children's children. What kind of world, what kind of believers will we have by the time the invaders actually arrive? How is this world going to be changed? So we've got three different examples there. And the key difference is time. What do you do with your time if you know that the end of the world is weeks away or months or years, or if it's not even going to happen in your lifetime? If it's months away, you probably go into panic mode. You respond instinctively. You gather yourself around your friends and family. You are th- probably thinking most about protecting the people that you love and also taking the opportunities you never took earlier in your life. And you can extrapolate that to a five-year scenario where people would do exactly the same. Except now people are not imagining, for example, their children never growing up. What they're imagining is their children growing up and having to help them come to terms with the idea. And, in turn, helping other people come to terms with the idea, choosing how to live their life in the last days. It would have an effect on society. There would be people denying it, and there would be people turning it into some kind of religious cult. Now, crucially, the last book in The Last Policeman's Stories features such a cult, but the instigator of that cult was actually a mystical figure before the fatal asteroid was ever detected. So what they've actually done is capitalise on a situation that breeds human fears and paranoia in order to gather momentum for their cult following. So realistically, you could expect in an order of months, you would just get individuals acting as they saw fit, committing murder or organising their resources. So realistically, if the apocalypse was month away, mostly you wouldn't have many opportunities for people to organise. Society would collapse too quickly, communications would break down too quickly, and there wouldn't be time to even propagate ideas very far about the mystical elements of the end of the world. People act very tribally, and their scope of influence would shrink down as they no longer have the resources to send their message any further. But in five years, let's assume you still have a government that wants to keep the, keep the lights on as long as possible. That means you still have the internet, you still have a postal service, you still have television broadcasts, you still have reliable utilities. Power. So in those cases, the end-of-the-world fantasists are actually helped in their scheme to amass a cult following. So then you've got to think about where you will be two years after the announcement, but three years before the event itself. What will these cultists do? How will they transgress against the laws that we normally expect to abide by? Will they murder? Will they display survivalist tendencies? Will they organise themselves into paramilitary units? Will they lobby governments? How visible will they be? So these are all thoughts that you might want to consider if you're building a world that's about to end. And then finally, let's think of the event that's 450 years in the future. Exactly the same thing will happen. Humanity will try to keep the lights on. 
And in many cases, probably humanity will deny that this is even a threat. But some people will believe. Those beliefs probably won't originate with them, but with their ancestors. Whole cults and religions will form. Potentially, religious doctrines will not only grow up, but there may be schisms. There may be whole new churches that not only evolve, but split off, factionalize. New heresies are formed. Whole prophetic texts, which are all about how the apocalypse is going to happen, become religious dogma, which people absorb without really understanding them. So in summary, these are the things you need to think about if you're running a pre-apocalypse. You need to think about how long people have, and then you need to think about what they're likely to do in that time. And the shorter the time they have, the more anarchy you're likely to have, the more panic, the less cool head thinking the more quickly society will break down, the more quickly utilities will crumble, the more quickly spheres of communication will shrink. And as if you've got a lot of time, you've got to think about how individual thinking will be extrapolated into group thinking and cult thinking, and potentially up to global movements of thought, of political ideology, of religious ideology. How is that going to change? It's quite possible that you could set a game in the centuries after the initial discovery of the end of the world, but centuries before it's ever going to happen. Games are all about snapshots of a particular time and place, so this is entirely plausible. So then, how is your apocalyptic outlook going to influence a world that is otherwise unaffected by it? All you're worried about is the secondary effects of people who believe or deny what's going to happen long in the future. And this comes back to, then, ordinary human motivations for taking action, Probably most people will continue to do what they do, good or bad. They'll be kind or they'll be cruel to each other. They'll break laws or they'll enforce them, and so on. Thanks for listening. We're on social media if you like that sort of thing, so hit us up on G Plus or Facebook, or you can leave comments on the website. Until next time, bye-bye.